This is a Federal News Network podcast. Ambassadors and diplomats aren't the only ones who further the mission of the State Department. In most cases, the family members that join them overseas also promote the department's interests through volunteer work. This year's winners of the Secretary of State's Award for Outstanding Volunteerism Abroad did just that, donating reusable hygiene kits to school-age girls in India and Kenya, as well as combating human trafficking in the Middle East. For a closer look at a couple of these projects, Federal News Network's Jory Heckman spoke with two of this year's award winners, Lila Murphy and first, Jenny Linton. Because we have four daughters, aged 14 down to five, one of the things that we decided to do was to create a branch of an organization called Days for Girls. And Days for Girls actually serves women in developing countries who do not have access to menstrual hygiene kits. And what happens often is that these girls do not have ways to control their menstruation, and so they miss school. And because of that, over time, they end up dropping out of school, they end up not doing well in school, and so as a result, they end up being the mothers of family where they can't provide for them, and the cycle of poverty continues. And so this group makes reusable hygiene kits that allows girls to manage that menstruation in a healthy way, and they're then able to go to school and subsequently provide for their future families. So I wanted my girls who have a wonderful lifestyle abroad to be able to participate in contributing to their local countries where they were living in. So we decided to get a group of people who lived nearby. So these were expats, these were members of the American Foreign Service community as well as other expats in the area. And we also got many other people who were living there to help. And we spent many nights, they're they're quite time-intensive to create these kits, and we created these um, packets for girls. And then we were able to deliver them to both India and Kenya because China does not allow NGOs to deliver these within the country. And as a result, we were able to have this really amazing experience with these other expats, both children and adults, to kind of connect and be able to serve other populations and then to be able to deliver was an incredible experience as well. Wow, and just to clarify there, so you've gotten your daughters involved in this kind of work as well? Yeah, in fact, actually our group was a lot of mothers and daughters. So we had probably a third of our participants were children between ages 8 and 18, and then the rest were women from really all over the world who cared about their service and contributing more than just in their presence abroad, but wanted to actually contribute. So we had women from all over the world living in Shanghai participating in the service project. Great. And Jenny, I want to get your thoughts on something that we've heard from the Secretary of State. And that's just really that this work does get at the mission of the Foreign Service, gets at the mission of the State Department, of putting an American face to these overseas posts through the work that you do. And so I just wondered if you had any thoughts there on you know, how you see this work that you've been doing as something that furthers that mission. Yeah, absolutely. I think that there's a few ways that it does it. I think one is one of our American values, right? is service and being able to help and lift the rest of the world as well. And so I think in that way, it allows us as Americans to not only with the people we're actually serving, but with the people we serve with, 
I had a woman from Israel who worked with us. I had a woman from India. I had women really from all over the world who said, thank you so much. We, a woman from Sweden, we wanted to contribute, but we haven't known the right channel. And so I think as Americans, when we can find these opportunities and participate, it, it allows other countries to also see that we do value that, not only in the official way, but also in our personal lives. And then I think in actually the populations that we were able to serve through this project, I hope that what the recipients of these menstrual kits saw was a deep love and concern for people from all over with all sorts of needs and a feeling that we care and that we're part of the same global family. I think what's really great about this event is it always underscores, one, of course, the great work you guys have been doing, but two, understanding that EFMs and the Foreign Service, it's a tough life. It's not all glamorous. There is some really cool things, some really cool opportunities. But by nature of being in this this type of work, it can be challenging. And so, you know, is there something that you maybe you know, want to speak to as far as things that are common to being an EFM or, or being a family member who is along for the mission? Our family has definitely experienced a lot of challenges and even some mental health challenges because of this lifestyle abroad. And I think it's made us deeply aware of the sacrifices that the families who live abroad make for our country. And I think in return, we've also experienced so much richness and a broadening of understanding and appreciation for so many global cultures, as well as the many people from America who represent our country abroad. I also spoke with another winner of the Secretary of State's Award for Outstanding Volunteers from Abroad, Layla Murphy. She talked to me about her work stopping human trafficking and labor exploitation in Oman. Part of what drew me to the work is that growing up in the Foreign Service, one of the things that comes along with that lifestyle is you do end up working a lot with domestic workers and with migrant workers, kind of not even necessarily by choice. Like there are certain positions in the Foreign Service where like, well, you know, you're DCM, you have a cook and you have a driver and you have all these other things. And so and those are people that become very, very intimate parts of your family. And so that's part of where the energy to do the work comes from is having had such a personal stake, I think, in the work. And since then, it's just kind of like, I don't think anybody could get involved and not become very passionate about it because there's a lot of serious, serious human rights violations happening. And I think it calls to like the most foundational aspects of your own humanity to hear people suffering that much and to hear them being so desperate and needing help so much. And so I think the the experience has really, I mean, it took on a life of its own. I feel we've maybe talked about this a little bit, but maybe to underscore this point, you've grown up in a foreign service family in some way. This is kind of all you've ever known, as opposed to you know growing up stateside. You've obviously highlighted some of the great opportunities you've been afforded and, and really have capitalized on those. But to maybe think of this another way, can you think back on challenges of being in a, a foreign service family and what it means to work beyond those and, and really still, again, do this incredible work? So it is, it's a wonderful experience. I think it's, it's interesting because the people that I spend most of my time with grew up in a very traditional American environment and my partner grew up in a very traditional American environment. So I think having conversations, intimate conversations about our personal lives and personal history is really interesting because I'll be like, uh, you know, I lived in 11 countries and I graduated high school in Egypt and they're like, oh my God, that's so awesome. That's so cool. Like, it's incredible. You have such an interesting life. And I'm like, well, yeah, <laughs> there's like more than one caveat. I think one thing that 
is funny is like I'll tell my partner like my god like we've known each other for like two years he's like yeah it's really not that long I'm like well it's pretty long in my book my brother and I were we were in in a place for two three years max like three years was a treat it's difficult to have a stable foundation and like stable relationships because those are always shifting obviously there's incredible perks to that and in that we're very adaptable and like we appreciate meeting new people but there's something to be said for having a more stable upbringing so that's definitely been a challenge but it's wonderful to to have grown up speaking different languages it's wonderful to have grown up knowing so many different people i think it gives you an incredible foundation to work on i know one of the awards recipients was doing work with initiatives for equity and inclusion and i think it's our upbringing is like probably one of the best for positioning you in such a way to make those things feel really important because you're growing up and going to school and sort of rubbing shoulders with people from entirely different backgrounds and that has a lot of benefits to it as well so it's something to consider but I'm very very grateful and I think I I wouldn't change it if I were given the choice which I wasn't but if I if I could I would do it all again Lila Murphy, a Foreign Service family member and winner of this year's Secretary of State's Award for Outstanding Volunteerism Abroad. You also heard from award winner Jenny Linton. Find out more about the awards at federalnewsnetwork.com. Hello and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I am your host, Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. Today I'm thrilled to be joined by Vice Admiral Cutler Dawson. Cutler has had an incredible career serving our country for 35 years in the Navy, where he attained the rank of Vice Admiral. During his service, he had numerous assignments afloat and ashore, including Commander, Second Fleet, Striking Fleet Atlantic, and in Washington at the Pentagon and on Capitol Hill, where he was the Navy's Chief of Legislative Affairs. Immediately following his retirement from active duty in 2004, he became the President and CEO of Navy Federal Credit Union, the world's largest credit union where he served for 14 years. Under his leadership, Navy Federal grew from 2 million to 8 million members. Phenomenal. Cutler, welcome and thanks for joining me. Thank you, Shane. You've had a fascinating career across both military and the private sector. Can you tell us a little bit more about your background and your professional journey? Well, I started out at the Naval Academy where I graduated in 1970. And then, as you mentioned, spent 35 years in the Navy. Um, with uh, six actual actual uh, afloat commands. Uh, the first one was when I was 27 years old. Uh, I didn't know enough to be scared of anything, and it was uh, probably one of the highlights of my career. Uh, and then after I retired after 35 years, I went to uh, work at Navy Federal Credit Union as the CEO, where I spent my next 14 years. Uh, I'm I'm currently retired and enjoying life, and um, it's been a great run for me. How would you describe your leadership style, and how's that developed over the years? My style has been quite consistent. Um, I believe, and I've learned this in the Navy, that you have to go to the deck plates uh, to see what is going on. And you have to learn what your people do and how they do it so you can help them to be better at it and more efficient and more productive. Um, it's um, something that you need to do all the time. Um, I remember I used to tell folks that um, you don't want to retreat to your cabin. And what I mean by that is um, the longer you're in a position, the less you think you have to get out and about. But that should be the opposite. You should get out and about more because people change, situations change, and you've got to figure out a way 
to get to them and find out what they're doing and where what you can do to help them. Uh, I we'll talk a little bit more about your book, but I read it um, from C to the C-suite. Fantastic read. You talk about the deck plates in that um, as well. I would encourage everyone to get a copy of this and read some more detail about going to the deck plates. Cutler, who was the most impactful leader in your life and what quality did you admire about them? I had numerous while I was in the Navy, but uh, the quality that, that I enjoyed the most was the leaders that got to know me as an individual and that they cared about me. And I could tell that they cared about me. And they were not only my leaders, but they were my mentors. And um, I remember um, one particular one, Bill Schiffer, when I had my first assignment at the Pentagon, um, I would go in to see him with my problem of the day. And I knew that he had numerous problems of his own, but he would stop and he would focus on me and he would make me feel like I was the most important person in his world. Um, and I, I tried to do that um, throughout my career. But really, it's about caring for your people. Cutler, in reading your book, there was a quote you used that you used to inspire those people that work for you. And it really got my attention. And it was, it was you are the captain of your own ship. I wonder if you can talk a little bit about what that means and how it was useful to you and the leaders you were developing. Uh, absolutely. Um, what I mean by captain of your own ship, when you are the captain of a ship, sometimes you're in the middle of the ocean and you don't have anybody to turn to to make decisions. You don't have anybody to turn to ask, what should I do now? You have to be the captain of that ship. And I, I translated that um, into, let's say, Navy Federal's organization, where I would tell branch managers that I said, you are the captain of the ships of Navy Federal. You're the ones that are facing the, the members or customers, as others call them, every day. And you have to make decisions without a lot of guidance, in some cases, and without a lot of time. So be the captain of your own ship. Step up. Uh, make decisions. Uh, do what you think is right. And you never can go wrong. I think that is so important. And you have to give your people a little bit of latitude to take some risk as well, because there is risk for them in doing that and risk to your organization. That's right. And, and I mentioned that I took command of my first ship uh, with five years in the Navy and I was 27 years old. Well, my boss had 32 years in the Navy and um, his, his guidance to me when I first met him was, Cutler, you do the right thing, and I'll back you up all the way. What a wonderful way to, to spend an assignment with, uh, with backup and, and guidance like that. What, what great, great advice. Uh, it's clear leadership is a topic you're passionate about. You wrote the book we mentioned before, um, From C to C-Suite. Can you tell us a little bit about that project? Yes. When I was at Navy Federal, I would tell C-Stories. Uh, as parables to get my point across. And um, folks would tell me, Cutler, we like your stories. It gives us a picture of what you're trying to tell us. Now, what else are they going to say? They work for me, but uh, uh, I took it as a compliment. And it was. And my wife encouraged me to write a book and I needed a co-author to help me. And I found a lady named Taylor Keelan, who was the perfect, perfect co-author. She turned in my stories into wonderful chapters um, that I'm very proud of. Where can listeners find a copy? Well, you can get it on Amazon. 
and you can also uh, get it on the Naval Institute website. Uh, and I might add that um, any proceeds from the book, Navy Federal uses uh, to give to charity. Fantastic. Cutler, thank you very much. Really enjoyed your time and your lessons in, in leadership and sharing with us your life story. And, and uh, I've learned a lot both from talking to you today and reading your book. And thank you very much for your time. It's my pleasure. And I, I, I would like to add one thing if I could, Shane. Um, during my assignments in Washington, D.C., I gained the utmost respect for the civilians that work here every day. They're hardworking, they're dedicated, and they, they have my eternal gratitude. Uh, I got to come and go from the Pentagon. They stayed every day and worked in Washington when I got to go out and um, enjoy being at sea. Perfect. Thank you. Yeah, we, WEPA serves civilian federal employees, but your comment is well taken because the interaction between the two is is continuous, it's nonstop, and it's critical. So uh, the career civil servants, as well as career military, uh, our country would not be where it is today without them. I totally agree. And, and I can tell you from the U.S. Navy standpoint, uh, we couldn't operate like we do without them being the backbone of what we do. Thank you very much for your time today, Cutler. And to everyone listening to Lessons in Leadership podcast, we'll see you next time. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus, and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit livexlive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.